This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. Good morning to you, Kevin, and to whoever else may be on the line with us. Well, also on the line with us is our, is our pal, David Moore. Hi, David. We're visually on Zoom. You can I'm the box above you. How could whoever else is with us? Well, you know, he hadn't introduced you yet, so I didn't want to give away the surprise. Yeah, that was that was I like that. I like how you weren't giving that away. Uh, you played so uh, close to the vest. Yeah, Jose, can you hear Evan? Because I'm having a little trouble hearing Evan. Can we work on his little sound there? That's good. All right, thank you very much. Okay. Do you want to hear Evan? Well, not really, but it was just you know a patronizing kind of. Thing. Well, I bought these new I bought these new fancier headphones, and for some reason I'm not hearing me either through the headphones. So. Yeah. I think I think you've got them on backwards. You have to have that microphone thing in the front. <laughs> That's right. Why is it on the nape of your neck in the back? Yeah. Oh. yeah, the, oh, there, yeah now, he's, now he's jacking with us. He's doing bits. Yeah. Okay, now can you hear me? Oh, yeah, it's perfect. We heard you before. Yeah. Okay, all right. A little too much. All right, so David, we are... Can we as- start this whole thing over? No, we cannot start this whole thing over. Uh, David, as we uh, are recording this, we are, what, uh, 30 hours, uh, is it 30 hours? About 29 hours away from the deadline on uh, Dak Prescott and whether he will play this season under the tag or if he will have renegotiated or negotiated a new contract with the Cowboys. Yeah, the the key here is he will play this season for the Cowboys. The only question is, will it be under the exclusive franchise tag or will it be under a long-term deal? Uh, At this stage, it appears it will be under the exclusive franchise tag. Um, From, you know, what we're picking up, talking to people, it it doesn't appear that they're going to be able to bridge this gap uh, at this time. So I think the anticipation is that he will play this season on the franchise tag with the understanding that the lines of communication are still open until three o'clock uh, tomorrow afternoon, which is a Wednesday. So uh, let's go over some of the, the, the details of this. If, if he plays under the tag, he will play for $34.1 million this year. Uh, yeah. And then uh, the Cowboys could put him on the tag next year. At that point, though, it would go up to $37.4 million. Is that it? That's something yeah, like or that? 37.7, I think, even a little bit more. Yeah, just a tad under $38 million next year. So uh, the, now, and and I know that a lot of people might feel like, well, if he's if he's playing for you, and if he's and if he's still, you know, getting paid, and that's a lot of money, and it's probably in the ballpark of what he'd want to be paid for, you know, annually anyway. What's the big deal? 
Well, part of the big deal is here is that uh, by having a multi-year deal in place, they can massage this on, on their cap. They can put they can put more on the front end and kind of backload this thing where it does not affect them as much now. And then, of course, in building their roster, uh, it wouldn't be as much. Could you give us an idea, David, of uh, if, if it was going to average, let's say it was going to average $34 million a year. Uh, if it was going to average that, what might they be able to do, though, to keep from having to say – to show on the salary cap that it is, in fact, $34 million every year? Well, it depends on the, the size of the signing bonus, which you then spread over the length of the contract. Um, you know, the guaranteed money doesn't really factor into that when you're looking at the average. So, so it gets to the bonus structure and, and the signing bonus, which you spread over the length of the contract, which would either be four or five years. So again, if you get a signing bonus, and actually what you've seen in recent years, the signing bonus has gone down a little bit and, and you're seeing it's all in guarantees in each year. I mean, it's the guarantee you get in 2020, 2021, 2022. Uh, and that is that has softened some of the, the signing bonus. But, but just for example, uh, for simple math purposes, since I can barely do simple math and at least I have a chance to illustrate it that way, uh, let's say it's a five-year deal, which is what the Cowboys are trying to offer, which Dak Prescott does not want. He wants a four-year deal. Uh, but say you have a five-year deal and you give him, as a guarantee, a $100 million signing bonus. Now, it's not going to be that large, but he gets the $100 million right now, but it would only go down $20 million on the cap for this year in addition to his base salary. So you – Basically, if, if it's a five-year deal, you cut the signing bonus in fifths uh, and put it into each year, move it into each year of the cap. Or if it's a four-year deal, you quarter it, and then you go into each deal of the cap. So, you know, I, I would think a more, you know, again, you're probably looking more of the 30 to $40 million signing bonus. But again, over a five-year deal, that means you add $6 million in this cap uh, in each year of the cap versus getting the 30 million up front. So that that is how you lessen the impact in the first uh, year or two of the contract and, and still make it cap friendly. Now after that, the base salaries go up so high it offsets that. But, but that's how teams have traditionally massaged the cap, especially early, so they can still uh, structure a team and have money to spend on other key players while that player is in his prime in this contract. So, so David, obviously the impasse between the Cowboys and Dak uh, and, and his agency um, is that you, the Cowboys wanted to give him a five-year deal. He wants a four-year deal. The four-year deal on his part is that it allows him, gets him a year uh, closer to renegotiating another contract, uh, and the Cowboys obviously want a little more security than that long-term. But explain why that is such a big – why would one year make such a big difference to both sides? Well, let's just look at it from the, the average salary and, and, and guarantee standpoint. Um, and, and that's what that's – what, you know, that's kind of what the gauges are when you're looking at it going forward and proceeding on this. So um, he's getting uh, – right now the, the last offer the Cowboys gave was $34.5 million over five years. Um, now that, that before Patrick Mahomes, that made him the second highest average in the league behind Russell Wilson. It put him between Ben Roethlisberger and Russell Wilson, uh, made him the second highest average in the league. 
Um, now, and also that the guarantee was slightly over 110 million, which at that point was the highest guarantee above Jared Goff. But Jared Goff's guarantee of 110 million is in a four-year deal. So you're guaranteeing him 111 million in a five-year deal. So now that average, you know, the, the average of the guarantee doesn't look, while the actual numbers are as large, or slightly larger than what Goff got, it takes another year to do that. Uh, the same with the average salary. You're saying, well, the average salary should go up more because uh, if you tack another year on, that salary should be well beyond what it was the year before. So when you're comparing, yeah, the Cowboys have, have equaled or surpassed some key numbers in a five-year deal, but it's apples to oranges because they surpassed those numbers and the other deals were in four-year deals. It, so you're not, so, you know, Dak and his representation, Todd France are going, well, wait a minute, the market's going to be changed so much four years from now, that's going to be, that's going to rank as one of the worst deals, you know, in year five. So why would we accept year five? We want four and we want to be back on the free agent market. So it's a, it's a legitimate, it's a legitimate dispute in my mind. And, and it got to this point because Dak reached free agency. Uh, when Jared Goff and Carson Wentz re-signed their deals and when Patrick Mahomes signed his deal recently, all of them were still under their rookie contracts. The Cowboys were unable to get a deal done with Dak while he was under his rookie contract. So when that, when that leverage passed, the leverage shifted to Dak Prescott, and he's using it to the full extent right now. Yes, he is. Uh, and so we, we expect nothing to happen here probably in the next 24 hours or so. Uh, I would say it's unlikely. Based on where they are now and where they've been, I would say it's unlikely at this point. Uh, I, I would say the Cowboys are proceeding, all sides are proceeding as they anticipate uh, that Dak will be on the franchise tag. Now, quarterbacks who have played under the franchise tag, uh, and of course, we all talk about Kirk Cousins all the time and what he was able to do and how much money he was able to make off that. I'm, I'm trying to think of other quarterbacks off the top of my head who have played under the franchise tag and then remained with that club or si ended up signing a long-term contract with that club. Well, now let's take it one more. This is the exclusive franchise tag, which pays Dak more money than he would have gotten otherwise under the franchise tag. And it's interesting. We'll see how this plays out. I think in some ways, you know, the, the Cowboys did that as a good faith effort. I mean, because the exclusive franchise tag put him up around 31 point, put him at 31.4 million. I think if they just would have done the franchise tag, he would have been around 27 to 28 million. And, and then his increase next year would have been less than what it is because of this. You know, I think the Cowboys did that as a good faith gesture to show that, look, uh, we want to get something done here. And even if we can't, we're making sure you get more money this year than you would have otherwise. But what it did was it jacked up the money that Dak's going to get in these two years. And in essence said, well, wait, I can just play these two years under a franchise tag. And when you do the 31-4 and the 37-7, I've done it before. I don't have it in front of me, but that basically puts you at 35 million over two years as an average, and it's all guaranteed. So then Dak's going to go, okay, well, I already have, you know, close to 75 million guaranteed over two years, 
and it puts my average right there with Russell Wilson, why would I accept any deal that averages less than Russell Wilson? And a guarantee, you know, uh, and it and it pushes up the guarantee as well. So, uh, I I think I think that uh, you know Dak's representation may have used that good faith uh, olive branch uh, against him in some ways to make this more difficult. Um, you know, all that being said, Dak has the leverage here, but you don't have leverage indefinitely. Now, if you go into this year on the franchise tag. Uh, how are you going to maintain that leverage? Well, you're going to have to take the team farther than you've taken it in your previous four years, or what is that going to do uh, to your bargaining position going forward? But getting back to your initial point, um, on the exclusive franchise tag, Kirk Cousins and Drew Brees played under the exclusive franchise tag. Both of them signed contracts with other teams one year later. So I don't think, you know, um, I don't think you can minimize if, if they are unable to get a long-term deal done. It really, in my mind, it really does cast doubt on Dak Prescott's long-term viability with the organization, even though they can control him next year with another franchise tag. Yeah, I think it's impossible to put aside the fact that, that uh, you, you think that some some damage is not being done here. I, I think that, that Dak loves being the Cowboys quarterback. I think that he, you know, it's impossible not to, to like Jerry and all that all that stuff that we talked about. And I think he, he certainly likes the, the, the coaching staff and everything that's in place here. I don't, I don't really doubt any of that, but it's just business. And at some point you have to say, if you're if you're not really serious about doing these things with me, I'm going to go out and find somebody who is. You know, and that, and that seems to be a, a very easy thing to see. So, Evan, let, let's let's bring you in here to talk about in your experience. And obviously, in baseball, there is no salary cap. There's luxury taxes, but not a salary cap. What what do you what has been your experience in dealing with players and contracts when there's been a, an impasse, something like this that's caused an extended, long-term set of negotiations? Yeah, it, it's um, it's hard for me to uh, kind of draw a comparison just because of the of the difference in situations with the franchise tag versus uh, no kind of limitations on on free agency. I I guess the one situation I go back to that was completely different, but at least somewhat familiar for people in the DFW area was when Pudge Rodriguez was on the verge of becoming a free agent in 97. Um, and the Rangers were hours away from trading him. But Pudge went into the office of Tom Schieffer and said, I want to be here. Um, and they got a deal done. Now, was it the most advantageous deal for Pudge at that point in time? Uh, I don't know. I think if he had hit free agency after that year, he probably would have gotten a much more um, uh, lucrative deal. Uh, but I, I think that it, it comes down to, at the end of the day, it is what David said. It is business. And it's, it's what Jerry and, and his group have to accept here is that Dak has some leverage. And it's not just, hey, we love you, trust us, do what we ask you to do, we'll all take care of it. It is about an athlete understanding uh, with his representation, what the market is, what his value is, and trying to maximize that for the long term. And 
Athletes certainly now understand it's a business. Maybe they didn't 25 years ago. Maybe they thought this whole kind of paternalistic nature, the, the way owners ran teams was somewhat okay, but they certainly understand it now. And I, if Jerry doesn't at this point in time, it's going to leave the Cowboys uh, kind of on the short end of the stick here. Now, maybe there's a better quarterback to come down the road than, than Dak Prescott for this franchise, but I think you've invested an awful lot of time and effort into this guy, and I, I think that you're doing both short-term and long-term damage here in terms of a working relationship and the possibility of this, you know, just being a source of conversation throughout this year, even with the – even – though he'll play under the franchise tag, I think it becomes a source of conversation. Dak Prescott, every time we talk to him, it's about the contract. Yeah, you know, I, I, to me, the, the, the thing about all this that, uh, that causes a problem, is, especially you got a guy uh, like Zeke Elliott, where they, 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 they leapfrog Dak to get a deal done with Zeke. Now, I realize it's a lot less money, uh, a lot less alpha, but I also – think that it's a lot easier to replace a running back than it is a quarterback. Uh, and, uh, and I, I, to me that it, when fans and, and, they, and I get letters all the time from people who say, or not letters, you got emails all the time from people who say, Oh, this is ridiculous. I can't believe that, 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 that Dak is being this way. And why does he take this money? It's a lot of money and blah, 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 blah. And they go on and on. It's like, well, this, this is just the way the market works. You know, why, why would we expect a guy, for the Cowboys to take less than what the market is. It's, it's like if you if you're selling your house and uh, you know and, and it's you're going to sell your house for a lot more money than what you paid for it, you're still not going to take less than what it's worth. You're gonna you're gonna sell it for what it's worth, and you're gonna make every dime that you possibly can on that. And that's just what this that's what Dak is doing now. And and of course, as we've noted many times in football, especially quarterbacks and in, in any position in, in the sport, uh, these guys are risking a lot. Uh, and, and you can, you can denigrate that all you want. Uh, we've seen study after study and case after case of what these guys are risking. I, you know, I, God bless them. Get whatever you can get while you can get it. I still come well, back to this when it comes down to, when it comes down to anything related to labor, I still come back to the example that gets set time and time and time again by major league baseball is I believe that players and their representatives understand it is a business relationship with management first and foremost, but I don't know that owners ever quite grasp that it is a straight business relationship with their, with their employees as well. Um, and that's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say too, I mean, uh, look, I don't think anyone should be surprised that Dak is firm in his convictions here. I mean, this was a guy that, that made, minimal money off his rookie contract, just a little over $4 million. Uh, return on investment the Cowboys got on the first four years of his contract is astronomical. Uh, no, no player in the league had a more positive impact for less money for four years than Dak Prescott did on this franchise. Now, what he did was, on the eve of the opener last year, the Cowboys presented him with an offer that would have averaged $33 million and $105 million guaranteed. And he turned that down. He turned down 105 million guaranteed going into last year on the last year of a rookie deal that just paid him a little bit, you know, right around two million, to say that, you know what, uh, I'm going to bet I'm not going to get hurt. I'm going to bet I have my best individual season, 
and then we'll see where that puts me in the marketplace. And he did that. Uh, so now that is why he has the leverage and the clout right now. But like I say, that leverage doesn't last forever. If, if you don't use that leverage to turn it into a long-term deal that you want right now, the dynamics and the situations change. And I know we, we want to go on to some other topics here, but let's play this out from a, a win scenario and a lose scenario. So Dak has the leverage up until three o'clock Wednesday afternoon for a long-term deal. If he does not get a long-term deal at that point, that doesn't mean that Dak continues to have leverage in these negotiations going forward. I know people say, oh, well, what if Deshaun Watson comes in with a bigger deal and Lamar Jackson and other, it's only going to go up. Now let's carry this out from a worst case scenario. Let's say that Dak has a comparable season to last year, not quite as good statistically, and the team is eight and eight or nine and seven again and misses the playoffs. Well, now suddenly Dak Prescott is the quarterback of a team that has missed the playoffs in two of its last three seasons as their starting quarterback. How does that help his stock? How does that persuade the Cowboys that this is who we have to hitch our wagon to going forward? Now you play it out the other way. How can he improve his leverage? Okay, he takes them past the second round of the playoffs. Let's say he gets them to the Super Bowl and they win the Super Bowl. How can you not sign a Super Bowl winning quarterback after your first Super Bowl win in 26 years? So there's still a lot of, you know, Dak, just because Dak bet on himself last year and won, that doesn't mean he's finished betting on himself. And that doesn't mean he's going to win this bet either if he goes forward. There's a lot, there's a lot to unfold. So it's, it's high risk for both sides. It really is. All right. One, one last quick question, David. Let's say he, go, he plays under the tag this year, comes with a contract next year. Is he going to want a four-year deal or a three-year deal next year? Well, that'll depend on where the market is, if Deshaun Watson signed. But, but everyone around him is signing, you know, four-year deals. Now, like I said, the difference is, you know, the club is saying, well, look, that's tied into uh, one and two years left on their existing contract. So those are really six-year deals. So don't tell us, you know, they're either five or six year deals. Don't tell us they're four year deals. But he's going to say, well, then you should have signed him going into his last season and you didn't. Uh, so it's there, there's a legitimate impasse here. And we haven't even talked about the impact of COVID-19 and how much more difficult that makes uh, working out a deal of this magnitude uh, even more difficult. You know, it, it sounds like I, you know, there, there are other uh, not exclusive franchise, but franchise play, tag players around the league. And uh, only one or two, it appears, has a chance to get something done by tomorrow afternoon's deadline. And that's very unusual. And, and that is because of the financial uncertainty uh, of how this is going to look the remainder of this year and next year, what the cap will look like uh, because of the uh, concessions, economic concessions that are going to have to be made to the pandemic. So that's just another layer that came in at the last. But, but, but I, was, I would say this and, and, and kind of leave it here. Um, you know, a lot, I know a lot of people, the, the response is, well, Jerry just needs to get it done. He just needs to sign him. What's he doing? What's he dragging his feet on? And I will say, has, has, it does take two sides to make a deal. And, and I, I don't think that Dak and his side have wanted to make a deal because I think they're playing their leverage above and beyond, which which is their right. But 
when has Jerry Jones ever been unable to sign someone he wanted to keep? And I think most people will tell you never. Now he made, he had to make some tough choices and go, okay, we, you know, I don't want to let DeMarcus Ware go, but we're not going to pay him that level for where we are as a team right now. So we'll let him go. But I mean, anyone who is central that the Cowboys consider central to their success to keep going forward, Jerry has always been able to reach a deal with. Um, that could change if they don't reach a deal by 3 p.m. Uh, Wednesday afternoon, because then I just think next year it's going to be even more complicated to get a deal done than it has been up to this point. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of complicated things about next year, and that has nothing to yeah. do with the Cowboys. Um, all right, let, let's uh, let's shift gears here a little bit. I want to talk about some of the uh, announcements that were made yesterday at the University of Texas. There were protests uh, there by by players and demands being made, and and uh, certainly uh, talks that they wanted to have about things on campus uh, relating to. Uh, the Eyes of Texas, the school song, uh, and, its, and its roots in uh, blackface. Uh, and, uh, and, and what was interesting to me, what came down, well, two things, obviously. One, you know, they had these ridiculous things now that you can't just name a stadium a stadium. Uh, the stadium is named one thing, and then it, it's usually hyphenated now because we're trying to get as many names on there as possible. But now we name the field, too. You know, not just the stadium, but the field. Well, the field was named after Joe Jamail who's a very big time uh, donor uh, to the program there. Joe Jamail was a huge friend uh, to the athletic program there, uh, a Houston lawyer, a, a real character, a larger than life kind of guy. And, uh, and his family, uh, Joe's passed away, his family, his children said, we want to take the name off the field and put the names of the two Heisman Trophy winners Earl Campbell and Ricky Williams on the field instead. An unbelievably gracious gesture. I love the quote from, uh, from Joe's son who said, who gives a flying F uh, about this? And so and someone, as I think Mike Finger uh, tweeted, uh, well, I guess we don't need a paternity test to know that this is Joe's son. Uh, so at, at any rate, uh, it was a very gracious gesture on their part. Uh, they are keeping the eyes of Texas, and it will be kind of one of these situations where every most people know the the roots of it now, but we want to make sure everybody does and how we're casting that. And I think what's re interesting here in all of this is the reaction of the players, the one, the guys who started all this in the first place. And their reaction wasn't that, oh, I, I can't believe we're not changing the school song. That, that was not their reaction at all. Their reaction was – this is good. We stood up for something and some things happened and this is great. And I think this is instructive of, of protests across the nation and the discussions are going to be had. Everybody's thinking that, you know, the next thing that's going to happen is that they're going to turn big guns on Mount Rushmore and bring down all four heads there. Uh, I, I think what uh, the, the lesson from this that happened at the University of Texas is that let's just talk about it. Let, let's let's let the players come forward. These are your concerns. We're going to hear out your concerns, and we're going to talk about what we're going to do here. And maybe we're going to do some of these things, and maybe we're not. But we're going to we're going to talk about all of them. Everything's going to be on board here, and we we hope that we show you by being uh, t by entertaining your opinions and what you think is important that we're going to show you 
that we think that you count and that your opinions count. And I think they should. And I think this was, I think what happened at Texas yesterday was terrific. Listen, I'm a, I, I'm a big uh, believer in conversation and I'm a big believer in, in compassion and, in listening to uh, the other side of, of all of these conversations. I, for me, the great perspective this week um, based on my heritage is, you know, the Deshaun Jackson comments. And I thought Julian Edelman um, in his response by saying, let's go and visit the Holocaust Museum in, in Washington. And let's well, go well, and let's, visit. Let's talk about what Deshaun said, first of all. Deshaun Jackson made some, some comments that were blatantly anti-Semitic. And um, talking about Hitler. Listen, anytime you bring Hitler into a conversation, it's not a good thing. Um, uh, the, the, the Adolf Hitler was an evil, the most evil man probably in the history of, of our civilization. And there's nothing that you can use for context other than to say this was the most evil man uh, who existed. Um, and so uh, Deshaun Jackson quoting Hitler or, or, or quoting a meme that was attributed to Hitler was, was clearly ignorant um, and, and came across as hateful. Um, but what, what I was most impressed with was the fact that Edelman said, listen, let's go, l let me take you and show you my heritage, and then you take me to the African American Museum in DC and show me yours, and let's talk about those things. And the biggest thing that, uh, that we have to come to is understanding between what somebody's ex personal experience is and what another group's personal experience is. And, and so I, I think that what Texas is doing is weighty, is significant, is, they are spending time listening to the athletes. And that's, what's, that's what has to happen. Because at the end of the day, I don't think what people want so much is to change um, most mascots or school names or things like that. They want meaningful change going forward. And that is, uh, that's at the root of our conversations. Yeah, that, there are some things that are, are blatantly racist and symbols of systemic oppression that I think you can act on immediately and don't really require a lot of conversation. But a lot of these are, are, are rooted in a very nuanced, complicated entanglement that, it, that has grown through the years. And, and to me, you're, you're, I mean, this is a period, this is why Texas should be applauded for how they're, they're proceeding in this and, and, and everyone involved, because really, what you're talking about at this time is you want, you don't just want change, you want transformation. You know, you, and, and there's a difference there. And uh, that's a great, that's a, that's a great, that's great wording, David. You know, because I, you can't have true transformation unless you have conversation or relational uh, aspects to the discussion. And relational is transformational. But if you're just yelling from your ideological, you know, posts, no one's going to change their mind. You're just going to become more entrenched. It's not meaningful dialogue. You're not trying to change someone's heart and mind. You're just trying to win the point in that argument. And, you know, that is what 
our media culture has become a lot of, but um, that's too easy of an out. And, and, you know, Texas should be applauded for how it's proceeding with this. And, and I mean, look, we, there's been, there've been mechanisms of systemic impression in place for, you know, hundreds of years. Why do people think it's just going to, you're going to say this isn't right and it's going to change. You have to enter into prolonged dialogue about this and just have a, an understanding and a trust that just isn't there now. And um, the only way you do that is by saying, look, we recognize what you're saying about the eyes of Texas. Let's do some of these other changes to show you that we're sincere. Let's continue to talk about this and figure if this is the right thing to do or if we should turn our attention elsewhere. And, and that's ideally, that's where all these conversations should be right now. But we're also in a world where you can only address so much and it moves pretty fast and it's, uh, you know, will we have the attention and, and the uh, desire to, to focus on some of these things long term, which is why one side is going, well, no, we've been waiting long enough. You need to change this right now which is legitimate. So, I mean, it's just such a, uh, you know, there, there are just so many dynamics in place and, and, and not just lifetimes of, of mistrust and baggage, but centuries of baggage that have to be worked through. And, and the only way you can do that is with conversation. So yeah, Texas, uh, you know, uh, you know, horns up, great job. Up. All right, which, which brings us to another, uh, I want to jump on this really quick, obviously, the, the, the retirement. I love the, that phrase, the retirement of the, the nickname Redskins, uh, which was, has been a, I don't, I'm really not sure how people couldn't see how that was an offensive nickname. Uh, and and it, it took me way too long to realize that myself. Uh, but of course it is. And, and I was struck by a story I read yesterday on ESPN where they went back and talked to a lot of former players played in Washington. Uh, Daryl Green, Joe, uh, Jeff Bostick, uh, uh, Doug Williams, uh, some others, and, uh, and got their reactions uh, to this. And, and, and some of them didn't, Bostick didn't take it well, you know, and, and but some of the discussion was, seemed to uh, center around, should the players have been ashamed about this? And it's like, no one in any shape, sense, or form is saying that any player who played under this nickname should be ashamed of it. That's just ridiculous to say that. And these, these are the kind of things that, that distract and detract from the conversation. This is what people do to, to, to say, see, this is what they're trying to do to you. They're trying to say that you were a bad guy because you played as a Redskin and you've got that on your back. You know, I got that on your front, whatever. You know, that's that's just insane to me that the argument ever got to that point. No, no player, nobody, no fan, no anything has to be ashamed of anything because of that. And 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 on the second part of that, the fact that you would change your name and people trying to make that a big deal. Look, I grew up in Houston. The base, the professional baseball franchise that started there was the Colt 45s. And then one day they change it to the Astros. And, you know, I, was, I wasn't very old. Uh, we, we love the big smoky C that came out that made the Colt 45. I, I still love it. It's a great looking uh, a logo. But they changed the Astros, and we all lived through that. When the, when the Oilers moved to Tennessee, they were still the Oilers for a couple more years, and then they changed their name. And everybody lived through that. You know, it's ridiculous to make so much out of this. You know, this is your team. 
It's still going to be your team. It's in your town. Your team did not leave. It did not leave town. That's the worst crime that you can do is to take your team out of town. You know, all we're doing is changing the name of it. Big deal. You still got your same color. You still have all the records. Sammy Ball was still a, a Washington quarterback. That's not changing anything. The, the, the history is not changing here. We're just changing the name. You know, I, I saw. Yeah, but I, that- Kevin, I do think the context that so many people get caught up with is, well, if I endorse this and I bought Redskins paraphernalia and I bought uh, stuff with the logo on there, then I endorsed it and I'm I'm complicit. And I think there is, uh, I, I think people, uh, there's some guilt or or shame that goes along with people saying, I didn't act sooner i should have acted or, or should i have acted sooner um and well, no, they're saying that no the, i think the bigger concern is so that the response think, is a defensive mechanism sometimes right well is that, is that people are saying you're telling me i should feel guilty right. i don't feel good you're telling me i should feel guilty well i'm not telling you that i don't and i, I think only an idiot is telling you that that you should be, feel guilty be a little stronger mentally let's move on all right, so let's uh, let's look a little bit here at the uh, at the Rangers. Uh, Is that directed at me and Evan to be a little stronger mentally and move on? Is that what we're <laughs> clearly clearly that was? Uh, uh, so so the Rangers have been playing. So yesterday, um, let me let me get this in my head here, Evan. I don't know if uh, Sam Bloom was writing from out there yesterday. I don't know if you were just goofing off or not. Uh, why in the world is Scott Heineman colliding with Robinson Chirinos at home plate? in summer camp yeah that uh, that's not a not not a great situation um uh, i was goofing off kevin um <laughs> working i got to the on of that didn't i rangers preview section for the brand new stadium that no fans will be able to enter um but uh yeah i mean these these should basically be non-contact drills and uh, on the one hand, boy, you sure do like the fact that, you know, Scott Heineman is um, is doing his best to try and, and prove that, that he's competitive and, and belongs on the 30-man roster. On the other hand, I, I will say this. It's, it, this is an unprecedented situation, and if you're trying to get these guys ramped up into game-type situations, playing intra-squads this much, it uh, it's different, but you got to understand the situation and you've got to be a little bit, uh, a little bit more, um, just a little bit more aware. Yeah. So he rolled his ankle. Uh, how, how serious do we think this is? We have any idea at this point? I, you know, I, I think that, um, my, my, my question not being out there and, and the, you know, the, the Rangers just said that he rolled it and they'll get a better idea today. My question, based on the way Jeff uh, uh, Chris Woodward was talking yesterday last night, was: I wonder if there's some concern about a potential high ankle sprain, um, because a, a, a regular ankle sprain would probably keep him out three or four days. Um, something a little bit more significant, like a high ankle sprain, would be something that would keep him out a significantly more period, a longer period of time. Um, they'll get a better feel today when when either he goes and gets an MRI on that. The, the x-rays last night showed no break. So um, I think they'll get a better idea if he gets an MRI today. So I just took Scott Hyman off of my uh, uh, 30-man roster. He's out. No, I don't think they'll punish him for that. But I, I think he belongs on the 30-man roster. But it just – these are the things that, that – 
that you've got to be, you've just got to be aware of. Yeah. All right. So at this point, um, it's summer camp, you know, we don't put too much in any of this stuff, but, but, but uh, uh, certainly some of the highlights have been uh, um, Isaiah kind of uh, really hitting the ball. Well, uh, I think he's hitting over 400 this spring. He's showing the same things he did last spring uh, before all this went to pot. Um, what do you think of the chance? Well, it was it- this spring. It was just, I meant last is what I meant. Yeah. yeah. Last one. This last um, one we just had, which was like six years ago. He's, um, he, look, let's, let me put it this way. He's a starter. I mean, he's forced his way into the starting lineup. I don't think the Rangers have said yet that they're completely committed to him, but uh, he's going to start. And he'll probably start the season at third base with Todd Frazier at first. Um, which makes yeah. this team immeasurably better. If 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 Connor Falefa can play third base, which I think he, he can play third base, the question is, was going to be whether he could hit. More uh, than one person has told me he's the best defensive infielder that they have, um, and and so whether that's at shortstop or third base, he gives them he gives them plus defense. Um, uh, you know, with Frazier moving over across the bag, you're still probably going to keep Ronald Guzman. And whether you keep Guzman or Bird as a backup, both of those guys are above average defenders at first base. You've got the ability to carry an expanded roster for the first month of the season, as many as 28 players. Uh, so you're going to have some defensive specialists there. There's a role for Guzman there as, as a late-inning defensive specialist if he's not starting. Um, but I, I do think that the most significant development has been this team went to the original spring training looking for somebody to step forward and and command a, a corner infield position. They were expecting that to be at first base. It's happened at third, and they're fortunate that they've got an opportunity to uh, move somebody across the diamond and make that happen. Kiner Falefa has Kiner Falefa has really grabbed their attention. Let me ask you this, uh, and this is just leaping out a little bit here. Uh, he's 25 years old. Uh, Elvis has got one more year on his contract after this year? Uh, two with an option. He's got okay. 21 and 22 guaranteed. 23 is, uh, I believe, an option. But to answer where you're going, I believe it's entirely possible that by the end of this season, Isaiah kiner left is playing shortstop every day here for the Rangers. Um, Elvis has got to play better. There's no doubt. The Rangers made that very clear at the end of last season that both Elvis and Odor were needed to step up their their performance. Uh, I think in the past it's been that, hey, they had a long-term contract with Elvis and they didn't have any shortstop options. Well, Kiner Falefa has played himself into a shortstop option. And the third thing is this year with a 60-game schedule, the chances of somebody having a two-week cold streak and being pulled out of the lineup – are greater, and if somebody moves into that that position, uh, and and holds it down, they become the incumbent. They're going to have to be unseated going forward. Well, the 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 best part about this for the Rangers is though is, and I think uh, Connor Falefa can play third base. Is that let's say Elvis plays well, uh, then you then you've answered your question at third base. You've not you're not going to have to to rush a Josh Young uh, or or anybody else to get them up to, to the big leagues, uh, or at least to play third base. You know, they may you know, end up playing first base or someplace else, but, but not third base. This is, this would be as to me, this would be as big a development for the Rangers. Uh, it's, it's probably in the last 
four or five years from their from uh, their development process of getting somebody to come up out of the farm system and do something. Uh, that has been, you know, a real issue for this club now for a while. And, uh, and, and that would be huge. Also, my, uh, one of my other pet projects has always been Danny Santana in center field. Put him out there. Leave him alone. Don't be moving him all over the place. What do you think uh, of, the, uh, of the prospects of him being the center fielder and not end up being a utility player? Uh, they'll start the season with him in center field, but I think Solak is going to get some at-bats in center field, and I think Solak is going to get some at-bats at second base. And I think from there it becomes it becomes performance. Again, same thing. You triangulate those three guys, Odor, Solak, and Santana, and whoever performs uh, – the best is going to end up with, with those two positions. Um, I think Danny, is that some kind of Star Trek thing? Yes. Yes. Okay. Go right ahead. Um, uh, you've brought this to a crashing halt. <laughs> the tricorder actually, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's right. The tricorder. Holy cow. I know anyway, something like that. I, you know, I think Santana has, they're, Early in the summer camp, he struggled a little bit and showed a little bit of frustration. Um, he's had a couple of better at days at bat um, the last two days. Again, last year, August, he really, really struggled and, and just became a strikeout machine. And the question you have is, you know, does he be, portend as a, a long-term everyday player? I think that's all still to play out. I think he gets the first shot in center field. I think that that's where the Rangers intend to keep him. Um, the only question would be, let's say he and, and Solak emerge as the two best options among those three positions. Are you best suited with him in center and Solak at second base or Solak in center and him at second base? And I would think right now the option would be keep Santana in center field. He's got a stronger arm than Nick and put Nick at second base, which is probably his best defensive position. Yeah, and the one issue in all of that and what you just talked about is that Ruggie's got one position. That's it. Correct, correct. So, and, I mean, uh, he's, he's got – again, he's got to perform or he ends up in a, in a platoon situation or he moves to the bench. This is the, – the, the, the um, amount of slack that these guys have to play with is, is less than ever this year. And um, that's bad news when you've had back-to-back -back poor seasons like Odor and Elvis have had. Yeah. Uh, uh, another player I want to talk about uh, here, a pitcher, Jonathan Hernandez, who's who has impressed everybody, certainly impressed the manager, talked about him a lot. What are the prospects for – let's say he keeps this up. What are the prospects for him this, this uh, summer, and what do you think – I mean, I, I like to refer to these guys as we always refer to utility players as a utility pitcher. This is a bridge, guy who, bridge pitcher is, yeah. I think, the way the Rangers would kind of consider it, especially this year. You know, they they feel like their starting pitchers are a little bit ahead of where they would you would expect them to be right now, and so that there might not be as many restrictions on their starters. Lance Lynn threw 107 pitches last night, so. Um, these guys may be able to go out and throw the full complement of pitches, but I think there will be, in, in some cases, you know, a little bit of a governor on these guys early on. And a guy like Hernandez who can go two innings um, and maybe even three, if he's picking up the sixth and seventh for you or the seventh and eighth for you 
it just creates so much more, um, uh, so many more options for you. Uh, it shortens the game. It makes your your other bullpen pieces uh, fresher. And I think the Rangers really feel like with Hernandez and Hearn, they have both a right-handed and a left-handed option to do this. Uh, and they feel like they're in a in a very good position. I I think Jonathan Hernandez could end up being uh, as valuable as is the most valuable reliever in the bullpen. Let's put it that way. Wow, that'd be quite a leap. That'd be another big success success story for the Rangers, and they haven't had a lot of those in the last few years. And guys, they've been trying to develop. No, there. I, I mean, the the two most encouraging things have been that both Hernandez, Kiner Falefa, um, really stepped up in in spring training number one in summer camp uh and uh those are both guys who came through the system and they're both young uh and and you get two guys you you bring two guys up a year who take over significant roles that's player development right there yeah that's that's kind of been the issue all along on this you know uh uh, listen, there's going to be lots of misses, more misses than hits when you're drafting players, signing players, and trying to find them. The thing is, is that if you if you hit on one, it's a, it's a lot like the Mavericks. I always like to look at what happened with Dirk Nowitzki. You know, you don't have to hit on a lot of these guys. You just have to hit on one in a generation or so. And if you get a player like that, the, the it, may, it certainly made Donnie Nelson look a lot better, the fact that, A, He's the one that, that pushed for Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, a B that uh, um, he 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 wanted you know Giannis Giannis and Tedekumpo and then and then was turned down by Mark Cuban. And C he he said we got to get Luka Doncic. You know when you can stretch those three guys across your career, you know who are go- the first two are going are going to be Hall of Famers. Uh, and, and and the jury's still out on Luka, but he certainly is heading in the right direction. You know. That answers a lot of your problems. You know, you, you don't have to be right all the time. You just have to get somebody in there to play, and they can play long enough to make up for all the misses that you make. And it covers the six or seven years you're not right, and then you can address that through free agency rather than the draft, which is another thing the Mavericks have done during that period. But, but you, you have to hit on that generational player to give you the latitude to um, – you know, to go out again, it just gives you so much more capital to work with because you know exactly who you have in place and, and the best skill sets to put around them. Right. Absolutely. And I, you know, the, I, I think the thing here on the Rangers example would be Gallo has the ability to be a, um, a generational talent. Yeah, he does. Um, Kiner Falefa and Jonathan Hernandez, that's what you hope to get out of your system every year to every day, or, or an everyday player and a valuable pitcher. If you do that year in and year out, your your organization is going to be very very healthy. Um, but it's I think we, we get into this uh, we get into this situation sometimes where in, in baseball you know usually with a forty man a forty round draft people expect the draft class to produce five six everyday players. Doesn't happen. Never happens. Um, you get one everyday player and one pitcher, you've done pretty well. You get a generational talent and nothing else from that draft, win, complete win. So uh, real quick before we get out of here then, Joey Gallo, you just mentioned him. I, I saw some uh, 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 roundtable discussion on ESPN the other day talking about potential superstars this season. Had Joey as, as a, a guy who could have a, a big-time season, listed him among only about eight or nine players, which I think is pretty good. Uh, has, Joey, has Joey put himself in that kind of conversation regularly now? 
let me just say this. Uh, last year, after 60 games, uh, Joey Gallo led the American League in OPS. Okay? Right. So if he has the same kind of start that he had the last year, he's an MVP. He's an MVP candidate. Um, right field, I think, is his best position. It allows his athleticism to play best in the outfield without over overtaxing him. His arm is 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 above average there. He's got really advanced command of the strike zone now, even with the high strikeouts. That's just part of the package that comes with it. Um, as long as Joey doesn't allow himself to get freaked out by the fact that the dimensions in this home park are bigger than the old park, and I was a little bit concerned the first time he mentioned how much bigger they are, if he doesn't get allow him to get mentally freaked out by that and he stays healthy this year, yeah, he's absolutely in the, in the uh, conversation for guys who could be breakout MVP-type stars. I think it's ridiculous for Joey Gallo to worry about how big the park is. He could be playing in Yellowstone Park. When he hits one, it's out. You know, the guys who have to worry about that kind of thing are the Isaiah kind of for who are, who are going to get robbed of a few uh, cheap home runs in this new park, which didn't get robbed the other park. day when he went oppo on Jesse Chavez. And then he, he hit two balls off of Lance Lynn last night at over a hundred mile per hour exit velocity, one of them for a home run. So, um, uh, but yes, to your point, you know, the day that Joey didn't think things were, were going very, very far, he also hit one off the facing of the upper deck. So uh, <laughs> he's got plenty of power. Um, I think he's also said that he realized the first day they were using some kind of older baseballs. And now that they're using uh, more uh, fresher baseballs, uh, which is to say the rubber balls, the juice balls, um, everything is fine. So they were using some uh, baseballs out of John Daniels' garage. Is that the deal? Uh, no, I think it was out of uh, Honus Wagner's garage. <laughs> I don't know. These, these were mush balls, apparently. Uh, oh, you hate to hear that. All right. Well, that's going to do it for our uh, Sports Day Ballsy podcast uh, for this week. Uh, by the time that you hear this, they'll probably already have decided something about Dak Prescott, and they'll trade him, you know, to the uh, to the Chargers, and, uh, and that'll be that. So. Maybe not this year. Maybe not this year. Okay. Next All year. right, everybody. All right. Say goodbye, everybody. It's disturbing. Oh, that is very disturbing. And, and we were saying it even before you were you were waving yes. that fake hand. Oh, my gosh. Stop it. Bye. All right. It's been fun talking with you guys. Um, I'm going to go back to goofing around. Yeah, good, good for you. Bye. Enjoy that. Bye. Bye, Bye everybody. <laughs>